It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. Right the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. On the roster of Army Immortals stands the name of General Jose Blood and Guts Jimenez. At ease. All right, man, thank you. Smoke if you got them, do the best you can if you don't have them, and whatever they used to say back in the old Army days when I was there. General, I uh, see you have six stars. I thought the highest rank was five stars. Well, you see, I'm really a, a three-star general, but I wear them mm-hmm. all on the same shoulder. <laughs> so what I do is I face the person I want to impress. <laughs> I, I do that like Now, when the fighting is uh, going on, sir, are you with your men? Oh, yes, and I feel very lucky to be with my men. Because my men are in the Pentagon. <laughs> Sir. In the dangerous part of the Pentagon, you know, <laughs> the part nearest the front. We're right Sir, what branch of the service are you in charge of now? The branch of the Tovos I ain't in charge of now is what I like to call the artillery. Good. Yes, I have many great memories in the artillery. I remember once in the World War II mm-hmm. that I was on the Guam, Guam oh. Island. Yes. And there were was terrible things going on, you know, in the Battle of the Bulge. So I took all of my guns and I shot at those terrible enemy people at, and in the Battle of the Bulge. 
Well, sir, Guam is an island in the middle of the Pacific, and the bulge is in Belgium. I didn't say we hit anybody. <laughs> we kept landing a little short. Uh, you see, it kept going <clears throat> boom, donk. It was a terrible thing. We didn't. Uh, sir, were you in the Korean War? Oh, wait a minute, my friend. You must not refer to that as a war. That was a police action. Well, what did you uh, think of the Korean police action? Now, there was a war. <laughs> the Tom Summer Program.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We got a good one in store for this uh, Veterans Day, opening up, of course, with uh, General Jose Jimenez, uh, actor Bill Dana from his uh, LP, um, Our Secret Weapon. Uh, but just a hat tip to Veterans Day, although I think uh, the guests on today's show for uh, people acknowledging Veterans Day might find uh, pretty interesting coming up in the 11th hour or the third hour, the 11 o'clock hour, the third hour of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with the author. Uh, she's a professor of Egyptian art and architecture at UCLA. She teamed up with National Geographic for a book called um, The Good Kings, Absolute Power in Ancient Egypt and the Modern World. That's uh, Kara Cooney will be joining me uh, coming up in uh, just a little while. And uh, in the middle of the show, the second hour, we're going to talk about uh, Belly of the Beast, which is a, a story based on a true story from World War II about a Japanese ship, and we'll find out more about that from Judith Pearson, who will be joining me coming up in about an hour or so. But first, we're going to talk to uh, a former CIA analyst, turned uh, mystery thriller author. He has a series of uh, uh, basically Cold War thrillers. Uh, the author's name is Bill Rapp. The new book is uh, Berlin Walls, a Cold War thriller uh, featuring... Um, oh, I'm trying to think uh, the character's name. It's uh, Bear. Uh, Carl Bear, a CIA officer is the protagonist in that uh, series by Bill Rapp. But, but let's find out about it from Bill himself. Uh, coming up uh, straight ahead, well, just a few seconds from now. And now. And hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour draws on his history... Um, as an academic in the field of history, specifically European history, and his experience as an analyst and uh, diplomat executive at the CIA in his series of uh, mystery thrillers, uh, the latest installment of which is called Berlin Walls, a Cold War Thriller by Bill Rapp. And Bill joins me by phone. Hi, Bill. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. It's uh, nice to hear from you. It's great to be here. I don't know how I got... I, I, I don't know if I did okay trying to squeeze all of your interests in there. You've always been interested in writing and thrillers. You're uh, a member of the... Um, uh, well, several organizations, but uh, 
I was I lost it in my notes here. Uh, mystery thrillers. Uh, uh, let's see, where is it? Um, you you probably mean the mystery writers of America. Yeah, and, and the, the International Thriller Writers, the yeah. International Association of Crime Writers, and and so it's it's clear you have an interest in that. But how much of the interest um, informs your um, is informed by rather your background in uh, intelligence? Well, I'd say that particularly with the current series, that's really what drove me to it. Uh, you know, I started writing fiction, and I, my first few books were uh, private eye detective novels, because when I was in grad school, I take a break from reading history by reading um, books in that genre, and I you know, developed a real affection for the works of Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett, Ross MacDonald, and uh, that's what I first dabbled in, but then I decided that uh, I wanted to write a book on Berlin, and because uh, we had we were served there, you know, as the wall fell, and I'd been in and out of there as an academic and tourist and, and also as an intelligence officer. And I said to my wife, I want to set a story in Berlin right after the war, after the end of the Second World War. I've got an opening scene, but I really don't have a character or a story in my mind. She suggested we use her father's story as a sort of point of departure. Excuse me. And um, he had moved into a house uh, in Berlin right after the war. He was there for military intelligence. And the guy whose house it was disappeared somewhere on the Eastern Front, but he had the exact same name, exact same spelling. I thought that made for an interesting uh, scenario. And we used that, and I wrote the, the book, the first book, Tears of Innocence, in this series. But at the time, I wasn't even thinking of it as a series. But the um, publisher said, you know, we ought to build on this. And they said, well, we can do that if we keep it in the Cold War and use a lot of the, the events that happened during the Cold War and propel the, this, we'll propel the series forward. So I would say it was my... Uh, background both in history and intelligence work that really informed and inspired me to to work on this series. You know, I always ask writers if they get to the end of a book, uh, you know, w when they end up writing a series, if they know in advance it's going to be a series or they get to the end of the book and go, but wait, there's more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it sounds like it, it sort of worked its way into the latter, but how much of, of this character is uh, based on you and, and how much on your father-in-law? Well, the, my father-in-law is really only there for the very beginning in the first book to, okay. to set the stage uh, for uh, Carl Byer, the protagonist, for his situation in Berlin after the war. And I would say it's it's not, I wouldn't, wouldn't call it autobiographical, but it is informed by my interest. I mean, when I, I got my Ph.D. in, in history, it was, my focus was European history and Germany in particular. Uh, my family background is German, German-American. So in some ways, he re uh, Carl Beyer reflects that. But, of course, his character and the things he gets involved in um, uh, take him you know, well beyond my life. I was just only, heck, I wasn't even born when he first appeared in Berlin. And uh, I didn't join the agency until 1981. So uh, Carl Beyer is a way to go to catch up with my career. And uh, now we're... Um pre-recording this uh, on the 9th or 10th yeah the 10th, 10th for yeah. playback tomorrow um, on the 11th and today is an anniversary is it not of the falling of the Berlin Wall 
Uh, yeah, yesterday the 9th was, I believe it was the 32nd uh, anniversary of the, the fall of the wall. And I have to say, I was stationed in Berlin at the time. I had been seconded to the State Department because of my background in German history and politics and my fluency in German. And um, I worked, uh, had a great group of people to work with there. And I'd like to say I had some foresight as to, you know, when I went there at the time, we knew something was going to happen, but just exactly what and uh, and the, the extent of the changes and the, the, the global impact it was to have, I think we're, uh, we were all surprised by that. In fact, these Germans were surprised. The whole fall of the wall was a mistake on their part, so it was, wasn't supposed to happen like that. So um, it was uh, the... It's, you know, I, when I think back on that period, it's in some ways it seems like it was just yesterday because the memories are so vivid when you're in the middle of something like that. Sure. But it, otherwise, other times it seems like it was 100 years ago because so much has happened. You know, the world really did change uh, as a result of those events. Now, when exactly does this uh, this book, Berlin Walls, take place? It, it's a, it's a post-World War II, Cold War thriller, but... Um, is it 50s? Is it? Well, it, it happens. It uh, takes place in August and September of 1961, uh, okay. just as the wall is going up. Uh, it's a, a bit of a surprise for Carl Beyer. He has to go there to, to uh, arrange and execute the uh, a defection of a KGB officer who his, has crossed paths with him on, on numerous occasions in the, in the, the previous books. And... Uh, the, the guy had arranged, he said, I want to do the defection of Berlin, which before the wall went up would have been quite easy because it was an open city. You know, the allied members of the allied forces, and in fact, all Berliners had open access to around Berlin. Many East Berliners lived in the East but worked in the West, and they would cross every day. Well, suddenly with the wall going up, things really change, <laughs> and it's going to be much more of a challenge to get this guy out. And um, Bayer has to, and at the same time, you know, Carl Beyer has married a German woman uh, in the first book, In Tears of, uh, of Innocence. Her family, her parents are living in East Germany, and suddenly they want to come out. So he has to try and arrange for their escape as well. And things kind of pile up for him. And there's, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a, a, a number of things going on here. People begin to wonder about the the ultimate agenda of this KGB officer and, and whatnot. So uh, Beyer has that challenge to overcome as well. So it's um, it it takes place then you know as the wall is being built and the challenges begin to multiply as they make more of a a more secure border between the east and the west. The title of the book, Bill, is Berlin Walls. Why plural? Well, I have to you know I one thing I have to confess it's because uh, the Tom Petty song Walls is one of my favorites, and I was happy <laughs> to work that in. But then I thought that there are a number of walls that Bayer has to, to overcome here, both uh, not just physical, but also psychological and political and bureaucratic, because the people back in Washington are questioning this whole operation at times and uh, because of their concerns over what this KGB officer might be up to. So he... Um, uh, it, there are, are numerous walls that, that he has to either get over or under or around. More with former CIA analyst and mystery thriller author Bill Rapp. Straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with former CIA analyst and mystery thriller author Bill Rapp. Straight ahead. Do you consider these um, in some way historical novels? Yeah, very much so. Um, one of the things I tried to do in these novels is to convey a sense of the, the, the time and place and the atmosphere. Uh, one of the things I try and do in my books is to uh, construct the, the political and the policy context in which this espionage occurs. I mean, that, that's the whole purpose of it is, is the geopolitical context. I mean, that's why we have intelligence work. And uh, it's not just about, you know, gunfights and car chases and assassins and this kind of thing. It's really about uh, responding to the requirements and needs of policymakers in Washington, D.C. And I, that is supposed to be the backdrop to these novels. And, of course, those requirements or needs are driven by uh, the events of the time, uh, the efforts to implement uh, U.S. foreign policy and, and protect national security. And uh, that's one of the reasons why in each story it focuses on a particular uh, event or crisis. In this case, in the Berlin Walls, what struck me as I went back and did more reading on that period was just how confused and uncertain everything was, this lack of knowledge as to what the, um, the, the East German and Soviet leadership was really up to, what were their intentions, how far did they want to press this, was there an area which a compromise could be achieved. And the whole response, which struck me too, was that they were really developing their policy as though they were responding to the Berlin airlift of 1948. The concern was, what if the Soviets cut off access to Berlin, you know, and, and really try and strangle the city that way? Uh, and, of course, there was no intention of doing that on the Soviet parts. They were taking a different approach to trying to see, achieve the same objective because they really had to stop the bleed-out with all the people that were fleeing East Germany. Um, they, you know, one was wondering if there was going to be anybody left. You know, the last guy out has to turn off the lights kind of thing. And uh, so that's, I think that does make it a historical novel, and, and all these are historical novels in some ways. Was didn't East Berlin become sort of an island? No, East Berlin did not. West Berlin did. Um, it was a, a virtual island. It says you only had the the access routes, the the three routes in on the road, and the one air corridor. Uh, Might have been three eventually. Um, East Berlin was uh, the East Germans trying to incorporate it into the East German states, so there was free movement between East Berlin and the rest of East Germany. But West Berlin was very much uh, an island at the time. Why wasn't the access free throughout West Germany the way it was in East Germany? Well, the access into Berlin um, were arrangements made uh, in '45, uh, so that the, um, the West Berlin, which was occupied by the the, the Western Allied powers, uh, the United States, Britain, and France, that could be sustained. That was by agreement. And at one point, in 48, Stalin, of course, tried to shut off the road and rail access, and that's why we had the um, what the, the Germans refer to as the, the, the raisin bombers, you know, the, the bombers that we flew in that would deliver food and fuel to the city. Um, that was all part of an, uh, the, the arrangement that was agreed to allow this allied military and diplomatic presence behind uh, the Iron Curtain, behind the, the dividing line between East and West Germany. And... Uh, all of this, of course, was pending a final peace treaty, which didn't come about until, you know, the fall of the wall and the reunification of Germany. In the um, 
in the book Berlin Walls, um, it, it's uh, Bear is the um, character, mm-hmm. and what was what was his role? What was his objective um, with this this wall going up? Was it gathering information? Was it getting people out of East Germany? Not just his uh, his in laws, but um, he wasn't wasn't he trying to uh, accommodate a KGB defector? Yeah, that was his whole reason he went back there. I mean, he's stationed he's back stationed in Washington D.C., but the KGB defector says, um, you know, I want this guy Carl Beyer to come out and try and get me out because I know him, I trust him, I've worked with him in the past, we've encountered each other both as as enemies but also as as partners at times. And he's the guy I trust. So Bayer has to go back to Berlin to try and get him out. That's the main purpose of him being there, is to get this KGB defector out. But as the wall's going up, that's when the other things start to pile on, like his, his in-laws, to get them out, which he can't very well say no to. So, um, <laughs> he, and, uh, so that's his, that's his real purpose there, is, is to pull him out. Although, of course, one of the reasons he wants to do this, not only do you want to, you don't get these defectors just because we're nice guys, um, but they they hope that by debriefing him they can find out more about KGB operations and Soviet policy and intentions in Berlin and Germany at this time when uh, you know Washington is just really really playing blind you know as this crisis unfolds. You know we we hear and and read stories, see stories in in film and television about. Um, about defections like this and and there's this sense that the operatives people like Carl Bear know who the players are is it is it really like that is there are are there likely to be real operatives who have counterparts that they're familiar with and that maybe they've worked together on things before. Is that something that happens in real life, or is that just a fun storytelling device? Well, in, in, in this case, it's more of a storytelling device. But, of course, there's... Um, see, what can I say here? This, there are comp- the relationship is often complicated. And in many, not maybe in many cases, but in some cases... You will know who your adversaries are out there. You have some ideas because you're always trying to find out and collect data and information on who, who is the, the, you know, the other guy, the one on the other side of the, of the, the conflict. Um, and, but you don't always know that. I mean, that's one of the reasons you're undercover is to protect that identification so you can operate clandestinely and covertly. Um, but uh, there are times when it becomes known because of the jobs you've had or the, the particular position you've had. In this particular case, uh, Carl Byers' relationship with this KGB officer, Sergei Chernoff, goes back to the very first book, Tears of Innocence. In who, um, Chernoff was also in Berlin after the war working for the NKVD, which was a KGB predecessor, and um, they were they encountered each other um, because they were pursuing the same objective at a, at the time, and uh, so they got to know who each other were, um, and and what their work was, what their you know who they worked for, and then there they encounter each other almost by chance um, in 
other books in the series, in the Habsburg Variation and uh, the Budapest Escape, because uh, Chernoff comes back and he happens to be in Budapest, and he and Byron encounter each other there as well. So they have a long history together. I'm not aware of any cases where um, a, an American and a Soviet officer had that kind of relationship. Uh, but it's not uncommon to use it as a literary device in this genre. For instance, uh, Jean Le Carré, he, his uh, uh, main protagonist, uh, George Smiley, had a uh, Soviet uh, counterpart who was his... Uh, uh, they never had the kind of relationship that Bayer and Chernoff have, but they, you know, there was much more antagonistic and competitive. Uh, but that comes up a couple times in his books as well. So it's, uh, I think it's, it would be very unique to have that sort of personal relationship that endures over time. Yeah, it's uh, you know we've seen uh, oh one of my one of my favorite movies is the uh, one with Glenda Jackson and uh, Walter Matthau, and the relationship between him and his uh, Russian counterpart is one of like almost old friends even though they were, you know, constantly trying to outdo each other. And, I, and I'm trying to think of the name of that. Um, yeah, I'm drawing a blank there, too. Are you familiar I'll have to look with, for it. Are you familiar with the movie at all? No, it, no, I don't think so. No. Bell? He's, um, he's uh, Walter Matthau plays the um, Eastern European section chief for the CIA. Mm-hmm. And uh, his... Um, Oh, he's he's being shelved and decides to get back at everybody by publishing what he knows one chapter at a time and sending them to all the embassies. It, it's uh, it's it's a fun story, but but it describes that relationship that Bear and and Chernoff have, mm-hmm. um, and like I say, we've we've seen that you know, in stories time and again, I just wonder, you know, how often that's real, because I, I can't imagine, um, y- you know, I, I, we just have this impression of it being spy versus spy. You know, yeah. it's a black hat and a white hat, and, you know, there's a good guy and a bad guy, and, you know, they're always out to, you know, outdo each other. Um and, and I imagine that that's probably there too. In fact, in your story, Berlin Walls, um, Bear comes to think that Chernoff might have a little something else in mind other than just defection. Yeah, and actually, that's um, that's I think an important point, and that's something that does reflect the reality of the business in in, in many ways. It's because there's always an element of uncertainty. I mean, you can never be one hundred percent certain that. Uh, there's this or that, 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 you know, you know the individual's motivations and, and ultimate objective. Um, a lot of times you have to go by the gut, and you, 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 there's things you look for, you check off, but none of them mean that, is defi- that the, the, the situation is definitively this or that. As an analyst, uh, I think I used to tell people that, you know, you're trying to put together a puzzle, but you'll never have all the pieces. And uh, so there's a certain amount of, of uh, analytic I don't want to say guesswork. That makes it sounds too too chancy, and, and I mean it's it's they're very informed to guesses. But like I say, you'll never have all the pieces for your puzzle. And it's I think there's there's a similar situation in operational activity because you know you're always trying to guess 
is this guy legit? Is he not? You know, is he feeding me good information, bad information? And there's things you do to try and check on that. But there's always a question in your mind, yeah, I, this I is, think. This is what he says he wants, but what does he really want? <laughs> yeah, I mean, is he playing me or, or, or what? Um, Bill, in this, uh, in this book, Berlin Walls, um, if, if you think of it as a puzzle, as you were, you were just talking about, mm-hmm. um, how much of the puzzle is, in, you know, is, is already in place because of the historic elements, and how much of it do you get to fill in with your own pieces? Well, I think the, um, what, the, the historical elements are really more the backdrop and the background against which the, the story is unfolding. Uh, the where I get to to play the creator is really in, in what I do with the characters, how they how their story unfolds and how they interact. And um, you, but of course, you know everybody, every incident and every person has a history. And uh, as you drop them into this historical context, that's going to influence in many ways. It's in some ways it's going to influence how they act and and what they believe and what they want to do and how they respond in, in a crisis. Um, but the it's the, like it's, it's a story in many. In some ways, it's the world I create in the book, but it has to be tied to the real world to make it plausible. So I, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it's yeah, kind I of in a roundabout does. way. Yeah, I think it does. Um, you have um, you know already expressed you know your your love for Dashiell Hammett and some of the uh, old school detective stories and and mm-hmm. you wrote some yourself what's the difference between a who done it or or one of those uh, standard mysteries and a mystery thriller is it in a who done it do we try to find out who did it and in a thriller everybody did it I would say everybody did. You know, I've always been. I'm uh, being a little facetious, Bill, but yeah, I know. But I think um, you know, to me, in a thriller, it was defined to me as is that you've got uh, your protagonist is is in this uh, really desperate and, and life threatening situation, um, and there's he's pursuing, you know, a goal, uh, and he's but he's really the only one that can handle it, that can resolve it. And, and in some ways, that that's reflected in, in the, the private eye de- and, and police procedural detective mysteries. But I think in, in these, it's much less a matter of resolving a specific crime. It's uh, there's a broader uh, objective and context in say, espionage fiction because you're serving a, a much broader purpose. Uh, it's not a, a superior purpose. I mean, you obviously you want to resolve a crime, particularly if it's a murder. That's important enough. But in this case. You have um, a broader uh, palette of, of masters and, 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 and superiors that you have to uh, respond to. And uh, at the same time, much like a detective novel, you know, the individual espionage office, intelligence officer needs to be true to, to himself and his own beliefs and his own principles. And in that way, they're, they're very similar. One of the things I liked about Raymond Chandler was that uh, he never... He always made sure that his detective, Philip Marlowe, would not get uh, too romantically involved in, uh, would not get romantic, romantically involved at all, because it would compromise his integrity and his judgment in the case. And he always defined your, the hero as somebody who is um, good enough for anyone's world, but the best man for his own world. And I think that also applies to your protagonist in, in espionage fiction as well. I mean, he's got to be good enough 
for the broader world of, of intelligence work and its whole purpose and, it, and its objectives, but he has to be um, the best man for his own world and how he goes about that and how he uh, maintains his own principles and integrity. And it, it's interesting that you um, that you factor in um, family relationships. Because we always look at spies as being somebody with uh, no friends, no family, you know, um, just just mission oriented all the time. Yeah. And and so, does is that a reflection of of something you wanted to share with the world, Bill? That spies are people too. Yeah, very much so. I think I, I that's another thing I wanted to do is to create characters that reflect uh, the people I worked with and got to know and became friends with uh, at the agency. It's, uh, I mean, they're, they're regular Joes and Jills like anybody else. They've just got special training. they become very dedicated commitment. They are very focused on the mission. That's, that's consistent with, I think, what you see throughout the, the genre. But, there are, you know, it's really hard to work in this kind of world if you don't have the support of others and the support of your family. And uh, that's something that, often does not come across in other books and it's uh it's something i also wanted to show that carl Beyer is he could be living next door now he's got special you know training and dedication and experiences um that get you know uh, that get sharpened over time uh, but at the end of the day he's got a home he wants to come back to uh like anybody else you know there's a a, a skit by uh Jose Jimenez, played by actor Bill Dana, where mm-hmm. he plays the head of the CIA, and he takes some Q&A at the end of the skit, you know, in his live performance. And someone asks him what the biggest secret of World War II was. And his uh, ad-lib answer, which ended up being, you know, kind of profound in some ways, was that it was still going on. Could we say the same thing about the Cold War? In some ways, yeah, I think um, it was... I've been many reading ways, about was, a return to it, but I yeah. wonder if it hasn't just always sort of been there. Well, you've always, we've always had, uh, you know, in international competition amongst various uh, nation-states and, and kingdoms and principalities or whatever. I think in, in many ways the Cold War was, or in some ways the Cold War was an extension of World War II in the sense that we went from you know, combating one antagonist uh, to build a better world to confronting a different antagonist, uh, which, and the situation of that confrontation emerged from the ruins of the Second World War, particularly in, in Europe and, and where we're, we've, these stories take place. So I think it's fair to say, I mean, it certainly had its roots in the Second World War if it wasn't an extension of the Second World War. Um, and you see that in Berlin, you know, as they struggle with uh, the occupation of Germany and Berlin and, you know, how they're going to resolve the fact that the two sides have very different objectives and goals uh, in this. And, uh, but they don't want to get into a, you know, another full-scale hot war, although it looks at times it's gonna, as though it's going to happen. So I think in, in some ways I would see it as uh, not, not necessarily an extension of the Second World War, but it certainly grew out of, uh, the result at the end of the, the Second World War. The book is called uh, Berlin Walls by Bill Rapp. Bill, what's next for you? 
Well, I'm working on the next book in the series. In this case, uh, this time, uh, Carl Beyer is sent to Turkey uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and uh, several uh, of our Soviet assets have disappeared, and he's asked to go there uh, to help find out just what happened. And he gets involved in the um, uh, developments within Turkey, where I'd spent a, a fair amount of time working on Turkey at, at the agency, and I've always been fascinated by that country and its history. And he uh, gets pulled into a number of things there, which are tied to the Cuban Missile Crisis, because I don't know how many people are aware of that, but at the end of the day, the Soviets pulled the missiles out of Cuba. In return, we pulled our Jupiter um, uh, ballistic missiles, uh, medium-range missiles, out of Italy and Turkey. Yeah, leave it to a historian to uh, zero in on the connection between Turkey and the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was uh, it was there, and uh, Bayer finds himself right in the middle of it, and uh, so that's uh, that's the manuscript I'm working on now. Well, that sounds like fun. They all sound like fun, Bill, and it's been uh, a real privilege to get to know you. Thanks for spending uh, some time with me this morning. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website, Bill? Yes, I do. It's uh, www.BillRapsBooks, all one word, BillRapsBooks.com. Well, Bill, thank you so much, and keep up the good work. Well, thanks very much, Tom, for having me on. I really enjoyed it. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Bill Rapp, uh, historian, former CIA analyst, and uh, mystery thriller author. His new book is Berlin Walls. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. 
the Tom Sumner Program.com. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. In these days of the Cold War, the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, has become one of our most valuable tools. However, many Americans have complained that too much of the CIA's activities have been kept secret. Tonight, as a public service, we are happy to be able to present the secret head of the CIA who will answer all of your questions. To maintain the secrecy of his identity, he will be wearing a mask. How do you, how do you do, sir? My name is Jose Jimenez. <laughs> sir, you, you just told your name. What are you oh, going to do boy. now? What are you going to do now? Well, I guess I'll just take off the mask. But first, I'd like to say something. What? Trick or treat. <laughs> sir, as a... Uh, <clears throat> oh, boy, sir. they're going to really kid me about that back at the office. I don't. Sir, First sir. time I had this mask off. Do I need to <laughs> shave up here? No, no, no. No. It has been said that spies work for the highest bidder. Would you tell me if that's true? What's it worth to you? <laughs> I, uh, I understand that... Uh, when you're a spy, you use very tricky devices. Is that true? You understand that when you're a spy, you use tricky devices. Well, you see this cigarette that I'm smoking? Uh-huh. You see that? Yes. That's really a gun. <laughs> Come on now, you can't tell me that cigarette is a gun. Oh, yeah? How would you like a shot in the mouth? <laughs> we also, among other things, use very... Cleverly concealed cameras. Oh, really? Sure. See this front tooth here? Yeah. See that? Yes, I that's, see. That's not really a tooth. That's a miniature camera. How does it work? Just press my nose. <laughs> and, and that'll take a picture? No, I just like people to press my nose. <laughs> Actually, uh, my nose is a, a shortwave radio. <laughs> You work the camera by pulling in my left ear. What happens when you pull on your right ear? That turns on my nose. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's absolutely... Um, I think it's running now. <laughs> your nose? That's amazing, a camera in your tooth. Uh-huh. I can't even see the little hole. Well, that's because I was in the right half of the class. <laughs> How did you get an idea like that, having a camera in your tooth? Well, I had this film on my teeth. I thought, why let it go to waste? You know. Sir, I've heard that they do terrible things to gain information from captured spies. Oh, boy. You heard about that, huh? Yes. I tell you, they do. Oh. You know, one time, they captured me. And they took these bamboo things, they put them underneath my fingernails, and they lit fire to them. They were burning things under my fingernails. And then they came and they hit me on the shoulders very hard, right there with the bony part where it really could hurt. And then they punched me in the nose, and they punched me in the stomach. And then they took these pair of pliers, and they squeezed me all over the place. And then they started to torture me. Did you talk? No, I was too busy screaming. 
You must have had some uh, thrilling experiences. Oh, I can think of one now. You know, one time I was on a plane, you know, and I had these form documents, and I saw on the same plane, right down just a couple of seats from me, still in first class. Yes. Oh. Or a couple of foreign power people, you see? Yes. They were there. Yes. So I took these form documents and I went into the laboratory. But when I came out, they caught me with the documents. Well, well why didn't you get rid of them? Well, there was a sign that says, don't throw any foreign articles into the laboratory. <laughs> Sir, who would you say was the greatest spy in history? The greatest spy in history was Ludwig van Beethoven. I didn't know Beethoven was a spy. You see how great he was? As long as we have you here in front of these microphones, uh, would it uh, be all right with you if some of the people here in the audience ask you some questions uh, pertaining to the CIA? Would you answer all of their questions? Yes, I would answer all of them. Oh, that's I'd very good. I'd be very good. happy. Would you please uh, feel free to ask any questions you have. How can we get a job at the CIA? You have any experience as a spy? <laughs> Not yet. Are you married? <laughs> yes. You've had experience. <laughs> If you are caught behind enemy lines, all you have to do is give the name, rank, and serial number of every soldier in the United States Army, where they are billeted, and, and how many bullets they have. Otherwise, they'll give you such a clock you won't even know. Yes. That it's still going on. <laughs> I mean, did you hear anything whistling, duck? Does the CIA have a theme song? Excuse me? Does the CIA have a theme song? Yes. It's over where? <laughs> Here you go. How many copies would you like? I have only comparatively recently emerged from the United States Army, so that I am now, of course, in the radioactive reserve. And the usual jokes about the Army aside, one of the many fine things one has to admit is the way that the Army has carried the American democratic ideal to its logical conclusion in the sense that not only do they prohibit discrimination on the grounds of race, creed, and color, but also on the grounds of ability. <laughs> Be that as it may, some of you may recall the publicity a few years ago attendant upon the Army's search for an official Army song to be the counterpart of the Navy's Anchors Away and the Air Force's up in the air, Junior Birdman, and so on. <laughs> I, uh, I was in basic training at the time, and I recall our platoon sergeant, who was an unfrocked Marine, <laughs> actually the change of service had come as quite a blow to him because it meant 
but he had to memorize a new serial number which took up most of his time. <laughs> At any rate, I recall this sergeant's informing me and my roommates of, uh, <laughs> of this rather deplorable fact that the army didn't have any official, excuse me, didn't have no official song. <laughs> and uh, suggested, suggested that we work on this in our copious free time. <laughs> well, I submitted the following song, which is called It Makes a Fellow Proud to Be a Soldier, which I think demonstrates the proper spirit, you'll agree. However, the fact that it did not win the contest, I can ascribe only to blatant favoritism on the part of the judges. of every man in our platoon must swell with pride for the nation's youth the cream of which is marching at his side for the fascinating rules and regulations that we share and the quaint and curious costumes that we're called upon to wear now al joined up to do his part defending you and me he wants to fight and bleed and kill and die for liberty. With the hell of war, he's come to grips, policing up the filter tips. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. When Pete was only in the seventh grade, he stabbed a cop. He's real RA material, and he was glad to swap his switchblade and his old zip gun for a bayonet and a new M1. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. After Johnny got through basic training, he was a soldier through and through when he was done. Its effects were so well rooted that the next day he saluted a good humor man, an usher, and a nun. <laughs> now, Fred's an intellectual, brings a book to every meal. He likes the deep philosophers, like Norman Vincent Peale. <laughs> He thinks the army's just the thing because he finds it broadening. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. Now Ed flunked out of second grade and never finished school. He doesn't know a shelter half from an entrenching tool, but he's going to be a big success. He heads his class at OCS. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. Our old mess sergeant's taste buds have been shot off in the war. But his savory collations add to our esprit de corps. To think of all the marvelous ways they're using plastics nowadays. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. Our lieutenant is the up-and-coming type. Played with soldiers as a boy, you just can't bet. It is written in the stars. He will get his captain's bars, but he hasn't got enough box tops yet. <laughs> Our captain has a handicap to cope with, sad to tell. He's from Georgia, and he doesn't speak the language very well. He used to be, so rumor has, the dean of men at Alcatraz. It makes a fella proud to be what as a kid I vowed to be. What luck to be allowed to be a soldier at ease. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. You pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here.
It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.